What's the latest on the insider threat? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. We're talking about the insider threat with Dr. Eric Cole, the CTO of the Americas for McAfee and also with SANS. Eric, thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure to be here. Now, I've mentioned only a couple of your roles. Maybe you can go in and give us a little bit of background on what you're working on today with McAfee, SANS, and elsewhere. Excellent. I've been actively involved in cybersecurity for over 20 years and actually have written a book on insider threat. So one of the things that I do a lot of both with McAfee and in my teaching ability with SANS is try to understand what customers' problems are and give them actual solutions that work. One of the things we find is organizations are spending a lot of money on cybersecurity and they're still getting broken into not because they're not trying, but because they're fixing the wrong problems. So what I like to always do is trace everything back to risk, help organizations better understand what their biggest exposures are, and give them solutions that are not just good things to do, but the right thing to do. And one of those biggest areas today is protecting, controlling, and managing the insiders. Well, let's talk about the insider threat, particularly since the economic meltdown of a couple of years ago. We find that awareness to the insider threat is up, but so are the incidents. Why is that? One of the biggest problems is even though organizations are more aware that problems are being caused by the insider, they're still not addressing it with their budget. If you look at the latest numbers, about 50% of the loss to an organization from attacks is from the insider, and about 50% is from external attacks. However, if you look at their budget, they're still spending 80% of their budget on the external threat and only about 15 to 20% on the insider, so they're still not that proper balance because organizations think that if they put up preventive measures and firewalls, that's going to deal with the insider, when in reality, the insider is using simple tools like web browsers, email clients, and others to be able to go in and cause harm to the organization. So organizations are starting to recognize that it's a problem, but their budgets, their solutions, and where they're putting their energy is not going to stop it because they're trying to focus in on making people aware of the problem, and in reality, they need to put measures into control, protect, and limit what the insiders really do within their organization. So we've talked about the awareness. What do you find to be most misunderstood about the insider threat? Probably the biggest area is most people, when they hear the word insider threat, they think of what I call the deliberate insider the Robert Hansons, the Aldrich Ames, the people that are in an organization that are deliberately working for the enemy, working for a competitor, trying to cause harm to that company. While that still happens today and occurs, that's the less likely percent of loss to an organization. The biggest thing that most people misunderstood, it's not the deliberate insider they need to worry about. It's what I call the accidental insider. The person who's not trying to cause harm, but clicks on the 
the wrong link or opens up the wrong email that causes money, damage, or intellectual property to be stolen from the organization. So the most thing misunderstood by managers, executives, and even technical folks that I talk to is they don't realize that the insider threat is not from people who are deliberately causing it, but accidentally causing harm. And in many cases, the insider isn't even realizing they're the source or the cause of the loss to the organization. Well, I've got to think, too, that these risks only accelerate when you're looking at people leaving workplaces with laptops, with portable media, with using social media. Exactly, and social media is a perfect example where employees and individuals are now putting themselves at such a great risk because they're out there with Facebook and Twitter and MySpace and all these different things. They're pouring out all their personal information and their data to what they think are their friends, but they have no idea that anybody can harvest grab or gather that data and just for example if you think of what most people use as their passwords and what they use as those challenge phrases if they forget their password mother's maiden name place of birth name of a pet you go and look at what they're putting in social media and through a few searches all that information is right there in their profile in their bio and in their background so for somebody to find an individual at a corporation, target them, steal their credentials, and even directly break in and steal information without the individual realizing it, today is really quite straightforward, and they don't even realize that they're being targeted. Now, at Information Security Media Group, we deal primarily with financial institutions, with government agencies, with health care organizations. In your experience, are there types of organizations that are most vulnerable now to the insider threat, or is it really something that cuts across any kind of, uh, of vertical industry barriers? In terms of vulnerable to the insider threat, I usually say that organizations that are the most vulnerable are organizations that are connected to the Internet, that have sensitive information, and that have employees working for them, which pretty much means everyone now, if you tie that with what is being targeted most today, a lot of the information that's being targeted are things for monetary gain. Social security numbers for identity theft, credit card numbers for fraudulent fraud, bank account information, research data, and anything like that. So when you're looking at the financial community, all that information on account records, credit card data, and personal data that can be used to acquire that is going to be the primary target of the attackers. And what they're looking for today is while targeting an individual can have benefit, going after the back-end databases where all that resource is stored is going to give them a much better payoff. Why target 30,000 individuals when I could target one individual who works at a financial institution who has access to a database that can give me 50, 80, or 100,000 records with a single attack. Well, let's talk about solutions now. In your experience, what types of technology solutions work best to mitigate the insider threat? 
One of the big phrases that I always say with the insider is no matter how hard you try and no matter what you do in an organization, you can't stop stupid. The insider in a lot of cases when you talk about the accidental insider are people that are doing stupid things that they don't think about. But the phrase that I always like to say is, while you can't stop people from doing stupid things, you can control and limit stupid. So one of the technologies that we're seeing that has a lot of benefit is isolation or sandboxing. And that's not only done with individual users, but that's also controlling access. So for example, anybody who logs in as a privileged user or an administrator or root on your systems, let them perform those privileged access, but why would you ever allow somebody logged in as an admin or root to check email or surf the web? It's just an unnecessary risk that's not needed. So by going in and allowing people logged in as privileged users only to perform the functions that are needed inside their organization and not allowing them to go out to the internet or perform any task they can do as a regular user is one form of what we're calling isolation or sandboxing. The other area is going in and when you run high risk applications. And right now today the two most high risk applications are of course email clients and web browsing. Why not run those in separate virtual machines. And you can do this completely transparent to the individual users. Now when they bring up their computer and they double click on their email client or their web browser, it works the way it always works, except little do they know that it's running in a separate isolated virtual machine or a guest operating system on that primary host. Now, if they get infected with malware, if they get compromised, if they get targeted, when they shut down that application, all the malware goes away, that instance of the operating system disappears, and now, in essence, you've got infected for five minutes instead of five days, five weeks, or five months, so you're controlling and limiting what they're doing the other technology we're seeing is application whitelisting. The problem with a lot of the security technology today is, is it looks for evilness. It tries to find patterns, signature, or behavior of bad things that are occurring on a network. While that's okay, the different ways that people are being targeted in terms of the evilness changes so often that trying to control and manage the bad things is too difficult. What application whitelisting does is say, let's control the good. Let's go in and figure out what's the minimalistic things that users need to do to perform their job function and then control and limit and only allow that to occur on the system. Well, let's look ahead now, Eric. What does the next generation of solutions have to do to, as you say, control and limit the stupid? The biggest thing is they have to be more adaptive. Going in and being very rigid, where you make a binary decision all the time, this is good or this is bad, just doesn't scale 
because as you mentioned earlier, businesses are very, very dynamic today. What somebody had to do yesterday is different than today. The data is more portable. There's a lot more mobile devices out there. So what we need to start moving towards is more adaptive or predictive technology that are focused on behavioral patterns. Better understanding what's the behavior of a good legitimate user and what's the behavior of somebody who's going to do harm in a specific environment. And one thing we've got a lot of positive output from is what we call reputational ranking. And the idea behind reputational ranking is you have a ranking of is this person acting more like a good or more like a bad individual on your network and as they exhibit behavior of a good legitimate person, they get more access and as they exhibit behavior of a bad person or an attacker, they get less access. And the reason why this is critical is one of the biggest challenges with online banking and many of our financial clients is the attackers enter the network and look just like a legitimate user. Because as we talked about with all the social media and public information and social engineering attacks and spear phishing that's occurring today, it's fairly easy for an attacker to be able to get credentials. So they're entering the network just like a legitimate user, which means you're not going to be able to prevent or stop them from entering the network. Therefore, what you have to do is control and limit their behaviors to only those good things. So now when they log in, they're given a base level of access. If they start exhibiting good behavior, then you allow them more access to their records. And if they're doing bad behavior, you limit or control it. So now by being more predictive and doing reputational ranking, you can truly have adaptive protection to limit and control the insider threat in your organization. So let's boil it now down as best we can. If you could give a single piece of advice to organizations to help them mitigate their vulnerability to the insider threat, what would you advise? My biggest piece of advice is understand your environment. It amazes me how much today organizations are trying to approach security with blindfolds on. They're putting all this technology in place, but when you ask them simple questions, what percent of traffic leaving your organization is encrypted? What's the average length of a connection? How much data leaves your organization per hour or per minute? They, they can't answer those basic questions. If you don't have an idea of what's normal or legitimate behavior, you're going to have no chance of being able to track and find the anomalies. It's very similar to when you go to a doctor. If you went to a doctor's office because you weren't feeling good and they came in the office without examining you and without asking you any questions and handed you a prescription, you would be very frustrated because you would say, Doc, how can you give me a prescription without having looked or examined or seeing what's wrong with me? They couldn't. What they need to do is take your temperature, check your blood pressure, examine you, and what a doctor's doing is they're looking for anomalies. 
They're looking for a fever that, that's higher than normal. They're looking for glands that are more swollen than a normal gland, and those anomalies are, is, what helping, is what's helping them troubleshoot and figure out what's wrong. Today, we need to do the same thing with our networks. Understand what's normal traffic in your environment. Look for the anomalies, and the anomalies is how you're going to catch the insider. And the important thing to remember is you can't prevent the insider 100%. Prevention is ideal, but detection is a must. And the way you catch and detect the insider is not by looking at the inbound traffic, but switch your thinking and focus on the outbound traffic. By understanding what the normal outbound patterns are, looking for anomalies, you'll be able to catch, identify, and limit the damage that a potential insider will cause in your organization. Very good, Eric. Thank you so much for your time and for your insight today. My pleasure. We've been talking about the insider threat. We've been talking with Dr. Eric Cole, CTO of the Americas for McAfee and a SANS faculty fellow. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.